0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast, episode 197. It's Wednesday, July 26th. Ryan Chapman and more. I'm John Hoover, Later in the show, we're going to have Randall Sweet join us. Talk about OU recruiting. He's been all over it. Uh, Gosh, Ryan, so much going on. July is winding down. August is on us. Media day, guys. Media day is next Tuesday. It's here. Uh, Practice usually starts like Sometimes that day, sometimes the day after. I think Meet the Sooners is next Saturday. Uh, but anyway, the season, the preseason, as we call it, is upon us. I fired up our you to get some fresh content on the website. Ryan.
1: I am very glad. As someone who has uh, been putting our heads together and going, one more week, one more week, what else can we roll out? We have some really fun series that we're doing right now that will lead us right into local media day. And. That just becomes something where uh, I I always get very excited when I start seeing that counter hit like 50 days, 45 days until football season. Because while the fans have to wait a little bit longer for a toe to actually meet leather, get going, uh, we get on our football season grind. And so uh, AllSooners.com will be overflowing with the fresh new content, quotes, videos, all the things that comes with football season. We might have some big news coming or some
0: cool news coming in a couple of days, within, within 10 days or so. So we'll see how that goes. I'll uh, keep you guys apprised. But think about it. In less than a week, you'll be reading stories about and watching interviews with Oklahoma football players and coaches. I'm fired up. Uh, Ryan and I were just kicking around some ideas before we started and uh, what do you want to talk about today? And we start looking at the depth chart and some of the some of the questions that need to be answered, some of the positions that need to be settled. Here's how I look at depth charts in July <laughs> and then in August, right? And then eventually you get to September and we still don't know because September is the uh, non-conference season. We still don't know. These these positions that we're going to throw at you guys today are, I'm going to call them ongoing. I don't think they're going to be settled in week one. I don't think they're going to be settled in training camp. I don't think they're going to be settled by the Texas game midway through the season. I think going into late October and early November, you're still going to be seeing guys in and out of the lineup. Cornerback switching, right guard, left guard switching. You're going to be seeing guys playing. And wide receiver is another one that we need to get into. But uh, let's start there, Ryan. Um, some fun stuff. Uh, and, I, and I think maybe the most fun position that we could talk about because there's a bunch of, in my, in my opinion, there's a bunch of good players at these positions. Where do you put them all? And we're going to start with cornerback. We're going to start with corner. Woody Washington, three-year starter. He's got it locked down. Who's the other corner? Is it Gentry Williams? Probably, but why do you bring in a junior college All-American, Kendall Dolby? Why, you know, What about this Canai uh, Walker, 6'2", 215? When is he going to match his kind of potential? I mean, the cornerback to me is an extremely – who's going to start opposite uh, Woody Who is an extremely captivating topic for this team.
1: Yeah, and when you look at it, Oklahoma, Brent Venables, that that defensive coaching staff were super aggressive signing seven defensive backs in in the 2023 class. And we had some questions that were answered in the spring a little bit as far as just like, hey, one of the strengths of that corner or its secondary group was that they felt a lot of those guys could play corner or nickel or safety, all that stuff. Well, in the spring at least, we found out Macari Vickers was working at corner. Uh, Josiah Wagner working at corner, Kendall Dolby at corner. And then – so, yeah, you you pair that in. If you hadn't had the really, really unfortunate, scary instant with with Gentry Williams at the end of winter workouts, I think that I probably would have felt pretty good all spring and all summer just telling you your frontline guys until anything else happens are Woody Washington, Gentry Williams, and then they're just going to try and work that depth in behind – with, with an eye on, hey, when Woody's gone, they don't want to have a totally green guy tossed into the SEC. But it's one of just those things of I'm always really apprehensive about that kind of stuff because everyone feels like Gentry up and running 100% completely, but he's, he didn't get a ton of experience last year, and then he basically missed all of spring or a big chunk of spring. So does that mean like a Josiah Wagner can can – mess around and, and find himself out there for the, the most snaps against Arkansas State or a Kendall Dolby. I, I don't know, but I, I would say I'd probably bet on Gentry to be that guy right now. And I think by the end of the season, it's going to be Gentry. It's just kind of a working into that because he did miss that, that work that he was able to do with Jay Voli. Everyone else is able to do, excuse me with Jay Voli in the spring.
0: Yeah. And I think this is one of those positions that's going to evolve throughout the season. Uh, as I was referring to, um, you know, you get burned a couple of times, boom, you're out of the lineup. The next guy gets in. What's he going to do? Is he going to lock it down or is he going to get burned a couple of times too? That's where they're at. A little bit of an experience factor going here for sure. A little bit of age in terms of Gentry being a sophomore now. Uh, Kendall Dolby's a junior. He's a Juco transfer. So he's played Juco games, right? He's never played in front of 85,000, right? So um, it's going to be interesting that position and I'm not throwing, can I Walker out with the bathwater just yet? Um, he's when you, when you interview him, you, you watch him on the practice field, you watch him in, in the scrimmage, that dude can flat go. He is an absolute beast. So can he put it all together? The position, the technique, uh, what's required of their OU corners in Jay Belize book. Can he put it all together? I'd like to think so. And then those two new guys you mentioned, Josiah Wagner, we we threw out some of the freshmen, five freshmen to watch, uh, I think, last week, uh, last month. And a lot of people came up and said, you did not mention Josiah Wagner. You should have had him in the top five. Probably so, but that's a loaded position. It's going to be tough for him to get on the field. Somebody like McCarrie Vickers is probably going to make his way first on special teams. You're going to see him. Uh, knocking the hell out of people, right on on punt coverage and stuff like that, kickoff coverage. So uh, that's how a lot of guys get their uh, get their kind of feet wet, I guess, in big time college football. The maybe the most fun position to ask questions about for me, Ryan, is safety. What are they going to do at safety? They've got Billy Bowman. Okay, he's a junior. He's locked in. He's going to start. Um, he is a safety. He is not a nickel anymore. He is a safety. He's going to start. Who's the other safety? Is it the fifth-year senior who's been to Wisconsin and been to Texas Tech, Reggie Pearson, who's been a starter in the Big 12 and a reliable guy? Is it the five-star freshman, Peyton Bowen? Is it Robert Spears Jennings, who is coming off a little bit of an injury, shoulder injury, I believe, but he's just been... Every time he's gotten on the field, he's done something positive. Uh, Or is it a senior... A couple of years ago, transfer from Tennessee, Key Lawrence, is he going to be able to hold on to what a lot of people are projecting his starting job? Safety to me is the most fun because you also throw in that nickel conversation, right? And then out of the nickel comes the hybrid cheetah linebacker that Dasan McCulloch seems to have locked up. Um, We talked about some of the green things that we saw from Dasan in spring practice where he didn't know how to strike a, a tackling dummy or one of those big, uh, uh, stationary dummies. He didn't know exactly what the coaches were asking him to do because he never played that position before, right? So when you talk about safety, you talk about nickel, you talk about cheetah, like
1: what are they going to do? Well, and another name that hadn't been mentioned there that uh, I feel like he is Schrodinger's defensive back because we've heard about Justin Harrington. We haven't seen if Justin Harrington exists on the field yet, really. And, and Brent Medals kind of talked about that. Was that a Uh, Big 12 Media Day, maybe, is a guy that was just happy to be on the team last year. He joined late, late in spring ball, so he was playing catch-up the entire year while they were trying to install everything. I have to imagine that was a a really tough position to be in mentally, because no one else knows anything around, because everyone is in year one of the system, right? Mm -hmm. So there wasn't somebody else that could say, hey, Justin, come over here, I know you missed A couple of weeks of spring practice let me get you back up to speed because they're all learning it themselves but you you really have to feel like for me personally going out and getting reggie pearson was a statement to maybe a key lawrence as far as a hey we, we are looking to aggressively add some guys and and i would say if you're talking about starters probably snap one against arkansas state defensively you've got Billy Bowman and Reggie Pearson, that that to me feels like the two guys because of what we know Billy can be if he's healthy and, and the way that Reggie Pearson consistently gets talked about. The, the question is really just a, how do you work in Peyton Bowen as soon as possible? We heard it again at Big Ten Media Days. Is football is easy for that guy and they need people that can be erasers on the back end for the questions that we have about the defensive line. And so... Does that mean that Brent Venables is aggressively saying, pull a defensive lineman off the field, go to a three safety look, make it happen? Is Brent Venables saying, let's do something weird and go Danny Stutzman and Asan McCullough with four down linemen, and then you can throw a, a safety on, like, what does that look like? Because it feels like between, move, as much as a to-do was made last year about Billy Bowman's going to play at safety, you got to learn safety, you got to learn your first position until you can be more versatile. Brent Venables has said, oh, yeah, like, Peyton Bowen could play the cheetah, some of the safety stuff there a little bit, that nickel, he could play safety like football comes easy to him. He just feels like one of those guys that gets it and will be on the field a ton. It's just that that's the question. What that looks like is, is it as simple as Bowen and Bowman? And then we're all just confused and, and, and typoing things left, right and center all year long.
0: That's going to be tough. Um, I, I always forget about Justin Harrington because I don't know where to put him. Can you imagine what the coaching staff is having to do? Um, with him because he came in as a Juco safety. Alex Grinch moved him to corner. He didn't work out at corner. They moved him back to safety. They tried him at, you know, the hybrid nickel at first. And now it's like, eh, let's move him back to safety. Oh wait, he's a linebacker. (laughs) He's a cheetah linebacker. So, uh, the coaches are the same as we are in terms of what do we do with him? Where do we line him up? Where do we pencil him in? What spot? Um, You'd like to see that six foot three, two hundred and fifteen pound athlete figure it out, land a spot, settle in, and make an impact. Uh, because I think he's, I think he's, in terms of just physical ability. When you talk about DeSan McCullough and Justin Harrington, put those two guys on the field at the same position. Put those two guys on the field. Uh, there's going to be some havoc wreaked. What about a three-two-six, Ryan? How about a, a th- defensive alignment of three down linemen, two linebackers, Kanika and Stutzman, and then six DBs, and you're just deploying dudes everywhere like heat-seeking missiles, like like when Iron Man's little shoulder things pop up and all those missiles come flying. Yeah, up. yeah.
1: Uh, that would be fun. Uh, that works a lot better if you have uh, absolute maulers up front <laughs> along the defensive line. I don't think Oklahoma has that, but yeah. here's my real question for Justin Harrington. Can he be up to speed by OU Texas so that you have a big-bodied out-and-out defensive back to line up against Jatavian Sanders? Texas is really, really athletic, tight in, because I, I, that'll be a huge test for McCullough as far as, okay, the times that you're utilized not as that heat-seeking missile to go find the ball behind the line of scrimmage, can you stick with a tight end of that skill level a huge transition for a guy that played defensive end at indiana to linebacker that cheetah at oklahoma can you find a way to get him up and running harrington that is so that maybe you can take a little of that load off mccullough because I, I think that sticks out as something that steve Sarkeesian will, will try to find and fight and then that way you've got a much bigger bodied guy to go along with all of the just flexible talent on the back end with your Bowmans and your bowens and and all that. I, I think that that is kind of one of those things of maybe this secondary group, slash the cheetah group, doesn't need to be a, it's these three guys all the time. And, yeah. and they can kind of mix and match based on the matchup and, and the situation and what they want to do.
0: My only problem with that, I, I agree with what you're saying. My only problem with that is guys don't get enough snaps to develop. If yeah. you're pulling one out on third and six and you're put, taking another one in on first and 10, and then here comes third and 11, and guys are running on are running back and forth and as they're running on the field they're thinking uh okay here's the situation here's my here's my keys here's my reads now what do I do as they're running onto the field right they're thinking okay wait where am I going left side right side where where's the where's my where's my check where's my fullback uh he's over here okay I'm- it can be confusing. I can't keep up with it sitting in the press box with a pencil in my hand. <laughs> there's, there's some guys who have to run on the field with a football helmet on and a mouthpiece in, and they can't keep up with it either. Uh, linebacker, Ryan, let's call Dasan McCulloch the starting cheetah, just on default setting. You go out and get a freshman All-American from a Big Ten school uh, who looks and plays like him. He's going to be a starter, and they're putting him at cheetah. Uh, Jaron Kanick in the middle. Danny Stutzman, obviously, 125 tackles last year as the weak side linebacker, or the other inside linebacker, depending on what they do up front. Um is it Jaron Kanick, or have you heard enough things out of Brent Venables' mouth about the new guy, Connor Near, from Ferris State, Division II All-American, two-time national
1: champion? Venables has really talked him up. Yeah, he has, and he was one of the the additions defensively that Brett Reynolds went into this like deep dive on during his breakout session at Big 12 Media Day, but he was the first guy Brett Reynolds started talking about. And I think that kind of spurred the okay, well, what'd you get from your uh, Philip Pay and DJ Terry, John Terry from Tennessee? I, I'd be really interested because uh, we keep hearing. I, I go back to after the Nebraska game. Uh, Everyone was very excited about the second half that Jaron Kanick put together after the Deshaun White targeting. And basically, Britt Venables smiled. He's like, he has no clue what he's doing. And then he's like doubled and tripled and quadrupled down on that multiple times through still basically saying that he's a guy that almost like he's pleading with the expectation police of he played quarterback in high school. They only put him on defense just to say see ball, find ball, hit ball. We are trying to teach him a very tough position. And and that's why, if you listen to us coming out of spring, I thought that there was a bigger opportunity for Canick and Kobe McKenzie to split a bunch of those snaps because Kobe has played linebacker his entire high school career. The introduction of Connor Near, while well, I think that may, for Oklahoma fans to be like, wait a minute, why is a Ferris State guy being – well, No, he's got all the experience. The was was talked a ton, a ton, a ton about that. I, I think that that is something that Near might not be playing 60% of the snaps or things like that, but if there are mental busts or things happening through fall camp, I think Brent Venables, and he showed you this a couple of times at Clemson, he'd go with a less athletic option that knew what was happening just at linebacker so that you don't have those errors, missed holes that go from like 3-yard gain to 30-yard gain in the run game at linebacker.
0: Yeah, Connor Neer is a 50-year senior. He's six one. he's 232. He's probably big enough, probably athletic enough to do the job that Brent Venables wants him to do. And while he's doing that, Jaron Canick can come in, get some snaps, fly around, make some plays, learn on the job training. Um, I'm yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not sitting here saying even pretending that Canick is the uh, is the unquestioned starter uh, when the uh, not just training camp, but when the season gets here. I think uh, I think they've got some questions to answer, including, Ryan, up front. Let's go over some projections here on the defensive line. Are they going to run three or are they going to run four? Yes, they're going to run both. They're going <laughs> to run a three-man front and a four-man front. And they're going to alternate between them based on what the opponent is doing, what the opponent's uh, tendencies have been shown on film, all that stuff. Uh, I kind of like Rondell Bothroyd, the transfer from Wake Forest, to come in and win the starting job. The question is, does he replace Ethan Downs, who's an All-Big 12 preseason player, as a starter? Or does he replace Reggie Grimes, who's a, basically a two-and-a-half-year starter and a senior at that position?
1: Uh, I, I understand the question that you have, John. I have a different question is Reggie Grimes more likely to start or is Reggie Grimes more likely to be the odd man out completely in this rotation when Brent Minables has talked a ton about looking back on last year and thinking maybe they should have played more young guys. And you have an R. Mason Thomas who had kind of shown that the coaching staff loved him last year before he tweaked that hamstring. So a healthy R. Mason Thomas, if Trace Ford is healthy – uh, the production of Trace Ford's career versus Reggie Grimes's career is no question. P.J. Adebore is the upside, like it's an athlete along the defensive line, the caliber Oklahoma has not had in a long time. We're starting to talk about, are you really thinking they're going to go four wide, like three on each side in that rotation? I, I think Reggie Grimes is more likely to be the odd man out than, than really starting and it's a weird spot to me from a guy that's kind of been the spokesman of that defense going all the way back to the transition in the Alamo bowl through last year. Reggie Grimes is a guy that was always rolled out, always thoughtfully answers all those questions. But once you hit big 12 play, he was ineffective. He couldn't do anything. He was a target and I uh, Like I think for sure is going to replace Grimes. Downs will stay on the other side and, Right now, I'd rather go with those other guys in the rotation because if you're putting more miles into Reggie Grimes for, what, one year in the SEC, or do you want to invest in P.J. Edebore and R. Mason Thomas, who need to be those guys that are showing some of these defensive linemen that Oklahoma hope to land in the 2024 class, the ropes in year one in the SEC?
0: Yeah, P.J. is the future of that position. He's the highest-rated defensive recruit they've had there uh, up front in a long time. Uh, he's a guy that when 2024 rolls around, he needs to look like a first team, all sec defensive end, right? Big, strong. And then he needs to play like a first team, all big, all sec defensive end. And what I mean by that is he needs to get some snaps in 2023. So he knows what the score is when he steps on the field against those sec offensive tackles in 2024. He's a guy that's got to get snaps, and you're right about Trace Ford. Uh, it's going to be tough. You're rolling the dice with someone like that who comes in with a, a history of injuries. I Asked Mike Gundy about him, and he said, "Yeah, well, he's been injured twice at our place. Uh, wish him future success." Um, he had a great start to his career, but that's 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 a tough one um, to uh, you know when it, when a guy's got injuries like that. To, to be able to count on him. And I don't think they're counting on him for much. I think they're counting on him for some impact snaps. And if he can stay healthy all season, he, I think he can deliver. Trace Ford, we're talking about. It. So you're right. Um, does that put Reggie Grimes on the shelf? Does that knock him out of the starting lineup? Because, uh, you know, if you're building for the SEC, you're not building for the SEC with a transfer, senior transfer from the ACC, right? He's a one, one-time one uh rental steps in in 2023 mercenary type thing reggie grimes is uh going into his senior year as well but uh he's got another year
1: beyond so uh, i don't know know what they're gonna do the defensive line is to co-opt what's going on in the world today it's the oppenheimer question in 2022 brent (laughs) venables coached that defense in theory more than in practice right it was a I don't care that I don't really have the defensive lineman to do what I need to do. This is the system. They're going to have to teach the system to the guys that are coming in. We've got to run it. We can't dumb it down. You know, you sent some frustration at times last year for those questions from Brent Venables because he was very clear. He's like, no, no, no. We've made it as simple as we can. This is what we're running. So... Bring in a Rondell Bothroyd. That feels like practically Oklahoma had to get better on the defensive line this year. And I think there's an understanding that if they don't get a lot better win total wise this year, all that shine, all that luster is going to wear off of what Brittman Wills and that coaching staff are doing on the recruiting front. So does it then become the you had your more pragmatic, we're going to go get a guy that's not going to play in the SEC but can help Oklahoma in the Big 12 in 2023, do they balance that out by saying, and we would like P.J. Adebori to be his understudy because he's the future of the defense. If if it's just a, a total course correction back to pragmatism, Ethan Downs, Trace Ford, Reggie Grimes, Rondell Brothroyd, all the experience those guys have, it makes sense that that would kind of be that rotation if they're all healthy, but I just don't think that Brent Venables wants a repeat of putting all those coaching points into guys that are going to be gone next year, and then you have to start fresh all over again in the spring, which happened at a lot of positions this past spring for Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, It's kind of the nature of college football. Bob Stoops used to talk about it all the time. Everything has a season. Uh, These seniors need to go. You know, it's time to get the new guys in here. He always talked like that. So I think Brent probably – adheres to that and embraces that. That's smart. But uh, but yeah, you you don't want to lose too many guys all at once. Um, I'll tell you what we'll do. We were going to jump into the offense, but uh, the, the conversation on the defense was so involved. Uh, we, will, we will move on to the offense in the next segment. Uh, we're going to hit on a couple of, we're going to preview for you a couple of series that were ones finishing up, ones just getting started. Plus, Randall and recruiting in segment three, it's a big week for the Sooners in recruiting. It's a really big week. All that's next on the All Sooners Podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond, or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners Podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day, And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. On Twitter, you guys can give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. I'm at John E. Hoover and Ryan, of course. Is that underscore Ryan Chapman? Follow Ross at Ross Lovelace and Randall is at RandallSweet5. Follow him because he's all over the recruiting beat. We're going to get into that in the third segment, a uh, little bit this segment. But first, our website is allsooners.com. We are a fan nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All Sooners is all free. No signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards. It's all free. So jump on. We do have some premium content. Uh, I should say we have access to premium content elsewhere on the network, but all Sooners content is all free. Uh, speaking of recruiting, Ryan, let's talk about your column on Bill Beatonbow today. Bill Biedenboe showed up. He did. I'm he totally did. kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Bill Biedenboe's earned his check today. Uh, <laughs> no, he got a recruit yesterday, obviously. Uh, finally, um,
1: second offensive lineman.
0: Joining Isaiah Autry is Eugene Brooks.
1: Yeah, and I imagine you and Randall will break down a ton of the nitty-gritty of Brooks in the next segment, but it, that was the one question, right, or one of the questions that was like, okay, July is heating up. The commit numbers crossed you know, 10, 15 now, and you look over and you're like, wait a minute, it was still just Isaiah Autry, the, the yeah. lone offensive lineman. You got four, four or five wide receivers – you got
0: two running backs, right? You got more quarterback offers going out. Wait, wait a minute. Who's going to block for these guys? That was my question.
1: Yeah, and so I just think it's a really interesting coincidence that in the the draft where Bill Beanbo sends both of his tackles in the 1st and the 3rd round, Anton Harrison becomes Bill Beanbo's first first round pick that uh there were, there had been some high targets, high profile targets. The Oklahoma had got on campus, got his visitors, all that stuff, and and just it went a different way. But Bill Beanbo, the developer he is, and the recruiter he is, that in a down year he wins a heads up battle with Texas. That's I think that people would be happy regardless of how many stars are next to anyone's name. If you're saying hey, it was a one v one with Texas and Bill Beanbow wins that, and I just think it's a a good look to take a step back and go. They signed four really good offensive linemen last year. I think that they'll be looking to find more offensive linemen. I don't think that Brent Venables wants to operate as always having to go to the portal to find your Caleb Schaefer's your Troy Everett. It's nothing against those guys, but you don't want to have to bring in three offensive linemen in the portal plus every offseason. And so it was just kind of taking a look at Bill Biedenboe, getting getting his hat back in the ring, uh, beating Texas for Mr. Brooks out there in California.
0: Yeah, for sure. You can check that column out. Ryan's column ran this morning uh, at allsooners.com. I recommend reading it. There's a lot of names in there, a lot of movement, a lot of player movement you're going to want to keep up with. Um, let's start there, Ryan, when we talk about previewing the uh, the offense and the depth chart and the two deep and who's going to do what. Let's start with the offensive line and the job that Bill Beadmo has to accomplish starting next week. Remember, training camp starts next week. so uh, He's got it going on at left tackle. I think they are absolutely loaded at left tackle, and the reason is I think they've got three super players, uh, three future NFL guys, three guys who are going to have to battle for snaps. I really think it's going to be that close. Walter Rouse from Stanford, four-year starter at Stanford, is coming off the shoulder surgery. He missed all of spring, transferred in, but didn't get anything done other than rehab his shoulder. Um, Jacob Sexton, they thought so highly of him, Last year that, uh, you know, they started him at left tackle in the Cheez-It Bowl <laughs> against that Florida State defensive line. Very impressive stuff. He ended up getting hurt, like, on the first drive. But they uh, are, you know, word is that his ACL is, is healthy. It's coming back. Uh, he's regaining strength and mobility. He's probably not going to start just because of that injury. But I think long-term they have uh, confidence in him to be that guy. And then the third guy is true freshman, Caden Green. Caden Green might be the most talented or one of the most talented offensive linemen that Bill Biedenboe has signed up to up to now. Uh, just in terms of his recruiting ranking, you look at his frame, you look at his athletic ability, they're loaded at left tackle, So who's it going to be? It's going to be Rouse, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think that you, you don't bring in a guy with that much experience. And the way that Walter Rouse talked um, – at that February media day where we got to meet all the transfers and all, all the new guys. Mm-hmm. It was one of those where Walter Rouse was so laser-focused on an NFL career, and he acknowledged when he got hurt, he developed some bad habits technique-wise, and that Bill Beanbow was going to be the guy to kind of unkink all of those, get him back humming. And, and so I think all, obviously Walter Rouse is going to sound the most stereotypical thing. But a guy coming from Stanford, when you talk to him, you're like, wow, this guy's brilliant, all that stuff. But him being able to take the spring, mentally absorb all of Jeff Levy's system, I think it's just a matter of showing Bill Beanbow the last little tick off the box that he can translate the mental only work from spring into being a part of that offensive line unit this fall. And, and I think that it's in part because you, you don't want to rush Jacob Sexton back because of, of the talent. Like you said, three snaps, three offensive snaps against Florida State, and then unfortunately he goes down. And for Caden Green, what an experience to be able to go learn from Walter Rouse is those two guys are going to be battling next year in the SEC to replace Walter Rouse, probably. So I I think that this is one of those scenarios where Bill Beanbow would love in a bunch of these games to play Walter Rouse for two and a half quarters. And if Oklahoma can get out, if the defense is a lot better and they can play complementary football and have big leads in the third and fourth quarter, especially early on in the non-conference I think that would be one where Bill Beedenbow is like, I would love to get some guys in here, but you got to go with Walter Rouse. You got to take care of business off the top first.
0: The question that Walter Rouse is going to get tired of hearing from Bill Beedenbow after every drive is, How's your shoulder? <laughs> How's your shoulder? Because I want to get this guy some snaps. How's your shoulder? Because I want to get that guy some snaps. So I could see that. Um, left guard is interesting to me because McCabe Matthier has been the starter there. Uh, he's established there, but he played right guard at Cal. He played right guard in the bowl game. He played right guard in the spring game. It looks like he's moved to right guard. So let's assume that he's moved to right guard. What does that do for the uh, another transfer, Caleb Schaefer? What does that do for, for a young up-and-coming guy but like Jake uh, Taylor? What does that do for a um, a transfer
1: from Appalachian State, Troy Everett? Yeah, it. this is really interesting because – I think a lot of people coming out of the Bowl would have just said, "And voila, they're bring Andrew Raym back in for Rob Conjul because Andrew Raym's healthy again." And and Walter Rouse, look at that. There's your offensive line: Savion Bird, Andrew Raym, McKay Metalier. But I just kind of I kept hearing that you know Savion Bird's got to keep putting that weight on and got to keep the weight on, and, and that's what Bill Beanbo's. That's the last time we talked to him in spring. That's what he said, and. For, for me, that's one of those things where it's like, okay, if you're bought in, they've got all the nutrition staff. You've got Jerry Schmidt. That, to me, sounds like there's an opening just because of whether your body struggles to hold that way or you're not doing what you need to do. I, I don't know which one it is, and, and that can be tough, and, and it could be no one's fault. It's just really hard to keep that up. But you pair that with the fact that go back and watch the Cheez-It Bowl – I think a lot of us were really blown away with how that offensive line played in the moment because our expectations were so low. Yeah. Savion Byrd in this Big 12 is getting a holding call like every drive. If he plays like he played in that cheese it bowl, he was aggressive, all the stuff, but his technique wasn't great either. So does he make that jump, or you have an experienced Miami Ohio guy and Caleb Schaefer or Troy Everett, who was a voted a second team freshman All-American by the athletic at Appalachian State? someone that also played a little bit of center. So Bill Beanbell loves guys that mentally can handle multiple positions along the line, all that. I really think that's straight up an open battle coming into fall camp. And I I don't know if I wouldn't bet on like Everett, the Appalachian State transfer, but I w- wouldn't feel good about it because I think more than anything along the offense, that might be the closest other wide receiver, which is just a whole other can of worms. Mm-hmm. That might be straight up like there's a three-man battle going on here.
0: Yeah. Troy Everett feels like kind of a, like a Connor near, like a safe pick. Like you've got tons of film on him. He's got a great attitude. You know, he's, he's learning every day, you know, kind of a, okay, let's put him in there and, and then we'll figure out what to do with these other guys. Kind of a safe pick. Um, But yeah, uh, for my money, I think, I think Matoyer probably ends up getting that job because I think right guard is going to be Caleb Schaefer. So I think you got Matoyer, left, right guard is Caleb Schaefer. And there's going to be some insertions and some substitutions. Uh, Center is locked in. Andrew Rame is a senior. And Josh Bates is the future of that position. That dude's going to be an All-American. You heard it here first. I think you heard it here first, maybe second. Uh, but he's a beast. Uh, he's a um, – he reminds me of like a Steve Wisniewski. Like he just wants to hurt people. <laughs> yeah. Just assassinate people out there on the football field metaphorically speaking of course uh and then right tackle uh for my money it's Tyler Guyton that's easy enough who's the backup There's, there's there's no competition behind him because Bill Biedenboe said the words he might be the most talented offensive lineman I've ever coached uh but what about Aaron Parks jumped in the transfer portal then realized the transfer portal wasn't open <laughs> and uh decided yeah better stick at Oklahoma
1: for another year uh in the early in the season, maybe I, I think that what you're looking at there is Jacob Sexton, Caden Green. Do those guys only work at left, or can they do the left to right thing? Yeah. But also remember, Logan Howland is a guy that I don't know if we talked about enough coming out of last recruiting class. He was the the East Coaster, New Jersey, I believe, if I uh, did my homework correctly, the converted tight end that his frame, it, it just looks like it'll be able to, to pack on whatever Jerry Schmidt wants, and so when you're talking about at left tackle, there's going to be a lot of urgency behind Walter Rouse because you know you're replacing that guy. I think Bill Beanbow needs in the back of his mind, and I, I'm sure he has this, to have some urgency at right tackle too, and Aaron Parks was a guy that All indications, if you're entering the portal when the portal's not open, that probably means you've been passed over by some people. Um, And if Tyler Guyton goes out there and has a really good year with his athlete, like he's a – if he went and just tested at the NFL Combine, he would be like 99th percentile of all the linemen. And so if he just puts a good year on film, there's a very real possibility Oklahoma is going to the SEC replacing both offensive tackles again would that be three straight years where you're having to well no Anton so two straight years where you're having to uh, replace both those guys it, it I think that there's going to be a lot of urgency for whether it's Sexton or Green if they can bounce over Howland whoever behind because I think Jake Taylor is going to be tapping on the door with Battaglia as well for, for me at I'd have McKay Battaglia at right guard to start and it'd be a great sign if he gets overtaken by Jake Taylor because then that shows that your young guys who are on paper more talented are kind of taking charge there. I think that they might have the same idea with the backup right tackle spot of, yeah, Aaron Parks might start, but you want to see somebody else taking that backup job later in the year because that person might have to play in two seasons.
0: Yeah, and I think they're, they're, they're pleased with the talent that they've recruited. Ryan, I just counted Bill Beatenbo is going to earn his check this training camp they've got 20 including walk-ons 20 offensive linemen on the roster that's the preseason roster so there's still some walk-ons to come that will join the roster in august so uh that's a lot uh he's got some things to sort out and he's got most of it is one or two positions where it's like which one of these two guys is the best which one of these fits what we want to do so uh a lot of uh a lot of uh I guess projection still ahead for Bill Bedmo and that group. You want to talk tight ends? It's pretty simple. Uh, Austin Stogner is your guy. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what Blake Smith's role is going to be. We keep hearing blocking tight end, blocking tight end. And then he goes out and catches a uh, catches a touchdown pass with a club on his in the spring game with a club on his left hand. Uh, sounds like Llewellyn might miss the season. Sounds like uh, Caden Helms is still coming back from his injury. Uh, Josh Faneuil, the basketball player from Division Two. Cameron, um, caught a touchdown pass in the spring game. But uh, what about the, uh, what? The, this is a position, Ryan, where they go out and they find a guy in the transfer portal late. We didn't ask uh, Brent Venables about him in Dallas. I asked him, I asked Brent specifically about the defensive guys. They got some offensive guys too late in the transfer portal. One of them, Hampton Fay, 6'5", 241 sophomore. He's from Fort Worth, but they got him from uh, Michigan State. He might get out there and play some this year.
1: Yeah, and and I think that they're just trying to find a way that really Devon Mitchell, the 2024 commit, doesn't have to reclassify and be a 17-year-old, should be a high school senior, playing like 100% of the snaps in the SEC. I I feel like that – going into the season, my gut feeling, John, we saw a lot of the Willis-Parker sets last year. I think it's more likely to me, and I'm not in the mind of Jeff Levy or anything like that, if you don't have a ton of depth at tight end and you want Blake Smith to block, on some of those situations, if you take Austin Stogner off and put Blake Smith on and then go to your two-back sets and have a ton of Javante Barnes, Gavin Sawchuck, and try to say, all right, defense, figure out what we're going to do with this, that almost feels like a, a better way to attack things than – playing with fire at that depth because then behind Stogner, there's nothing as far as a bunch of experience behind Stogner and Blake Smith. There's really not much experience and you're really learning on the fly. I almost wonder if this is going to end up like the running backs a couple years ago where they're scared to put two tight ends on the field because Stogner and Smith are going to have to do so much because they're the only ones that have any kind of real legitimate experience.
0: Uh, running back is easy. Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk are your one and one, a, uh, Marcus major wants desperately to get in there. I know you have kind of lost faith in his ability to make an impact early in the season, or at least that's the vibe that I've picked up from you over the years. Uh, but they got a bunch of big, thick running backs behind those guys that can get carries. Nobody who's super explosive, but then you bring in the two freshmen, Smothers and Hicks, and it's like, oh, they're changing uh, changing what their OU running backs look like a little bit and how those guys are expected to play. One thing I noticed in the spring practice, you know, we got a lot of access early on in, in um, spring practice, Ryan. And that was uh, they spent a ton of time, Jeff Lebby and, and the quarterbacks spent a ton of time throwing the football to the running backs. And I think you're going to see because of the lack of huge, impactful, explosive, dynamic, experienced wide receivers at this position. I think you're going to see this year a lot of catches by the running backs.
1: Yeah. And when you just look at even those frontline guys, Javante Barnes, um, Need to work a little bit on that because he had – was was he the one that had the wheel route kind of in, in Lubbock that hit him in the numbers? Yeah, yeah. Was he, was, he was running on the hash, not a wheel route. And that's one of those things where it's like just haul that in and you got another touchdown. Saw check with what he does in the open field, like get him in the open field any way, shape, or form. I think with Marcus Major, it's just a matter of like can, can our friends stay healthy all year long? Because when he was healthy early last year mm-hmm. – everyone was clamoring for him to be the goal line back. Cause he was the most effective guy. Then we just found out when he's not hundred percent, he, it, it just wasn't the same. Right. And so for major, I think that's a, if he's healthy, awesome. You have a three headed monster on the ground. If he's not like, just don't price that in either way, which would give a ton of opportunity. Absolutely. To Hicks and Smothers. Those are really versatile guys. Guys that can kind of do a little bit of everything. Feels like you're, your modern running back that's just as apt to to torch you from a pass behind the line of scrimmage in the flat as they are to go between the tackles, bowl over a, a linebacker, spin out, and and run that way. And so, yeah, I, I think that Jeff Levy is really comfortable saying, if we don't get the production from the question marks across the wide receiver room, cool, just copy and paste that to the running backs. You can do a lot of stuff with that. And, and Eric Gray was great at that last year. And I think that you've got, Man, three or four guys that, that can have a positive impact in the passing game just out of DeMarco Murray's room.
0: Ryan, you ever been to a monster truck race or rally? Uh,
1: no. I've, I've done NASCAR, but not monster truck. Monster trucks,
0: they, they have a, they're huge. They run over you. They're powerful. They're exciting to watch. I'm not a big monster truck guy, but I've been to one or two. But you get amped up to watch them. And then they get out there, and the little fire comes out of the little pipes at the top, and you're like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And then it goes, blah, 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 and it just poops out. Marcus Major reminds me of a monster truck. He's going to run over you. He's going to hurt you. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be unbelievably fun to watch. But he just spent six weeks in the garage getting tuned up, right? He's got to get everything just perfect, just right. And I hate that for him because he's got an amazing amount of talent. If he ever gets it lined up in the same direction, it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, But he does tend to have a lot of buildup going into the season and then kind of flames out, uh, you know, before he can ever really get going before he can get the motor running. So I hope, I hope for his sake that uh, I said last year, remember I said the words last year, he's going to be Oklahoma's next thousand yard back. And what does Eric Gray do? He rushes for 1500 yards. So (laughs) Uh, I believe in Marcus Major. I just want to see it from him now. I just want to see him um, take advantage of the opportunity. And it's as simple as that. Ryan, the wide receiver position is an absolute mess. You've got Greg (laughs) Stoops. You've got Jalil Farouk. And then you've got a bunch of really talented recruits and transfers who have never done anything.
1: Yeah, it's picking through like – we're going to turn we're going to end up Brent Venables mode here right now where you're going to ask about the wide receivers you're going to ask us what you think this battle looks like and then we're going to end up naming 15 names you're gonna be like well you just you just mentioned everybody how can you be wrong uh it's gonna be Farouk and Stoops we know that I like your take here
0: by the way I like this
1: yes And, and here's the the third most returning wide receiver is Gavin Freeman so for me, if you're asking who the best three guys are going to be, it's Jalil Farouk, Drake Stoops, and Gavin Freeman. Here's the issue. All those guys are are not even just like normal. Like they're just undersized height guys. Farouk is the closest to being not really undersized or anything like that. I understand what he's listed at. I'm here to tell you that I don't look eye to eye with Jalil Farouk, but Jalil Farouk does not tower over me, and that's not a good sign. Um So I've actually been thinking, and I'm really curious if we know Jalil Farouk and Drake Stoops are the best two guys, but how often, if it's Gavin Freeman as the third guy, I don't think you can run a whole season with those three guys as your top line just because of the size. And I'm not like, hey, you have to have one 6'5 guy, and you have to have one 6'3 guy, and you have to have one speed. I'm not that. But you also can't have... Three undersized guys. If you come up against a physical secondary that's not as talented as you, I think that they're going to have to rotate within those three guys, which is going to open up maybe two spots elsewhere to kind of have your whether it's I think Andrew Anthony's a good bet as that next guy, and then from there, I really don't have a clue. I think LV Bunkley Shelton showed you he could be that possession guy. Dylan Gabriel just missed him a couple of times, not like one overthrow and one he just didn't throw it to him. But I think it's going to be a lot of volume push toward Farouk and Stoops. Absolutely. You're going to look at the catch numbers and be like, yeah, those were the top two guys. I think that Freeman's the third guy. I just don't know if you can throw all three of those guys together, which for an entire fourth quarter when you need it, which means that I still think it's going to have the opportunity to have a bunch of those other guys. I just don't know if they're more of a, we need someone to take the top off so that Stoops can run underneath and it doesn't really matter if that's Andrew Anthony or Brandon Thompson or Jaquay's Petaway. We just have to have someone who's a little bit bigger to take the top off so that Stoops could do his thing underneath or Freeman can do his thing over the middle.
0: It's real confusing to try to keep these guys straight and in terms of X, Y, Z and slot and who's where that's even tougher, but I, I'm making the prediction right now. There's going to be eight to 10 guys who catch at least a dozen passes. That's kind of a, not a really good thing if you think about it. You want a guy catching 75, another one catching 60, and another one catching 50, and you want those guys being your impact guys day in, day out, play after play. You don't want well, maybe we could try him. Maybe we could try him. Let, that one didn't work. Let's try this guy. Uh, Andrell Anthony, to me, has got to be your third option, which if you're talking about Jaleel Farouk and Drake Stoops, Andrell Anthony could become a first or second option in my opinion. Um, Brennan Thompson, so fast, unbelievable speed, fastest kid on the team. And don't try to argue with me on that. He is put him on a track and put a stopwatch on him and see Brennan Thompson will be the fastest kid on the team. You got to get him the football in a number of ways. He had one catch for Texas last year, one catch against Oklahoma state, 32 yards done. He didn't get hurt or anything. He's just like, they couldn't get him the football anymore. You got to find ways to get him the football. Jaden Gibson has the body from Mount Olympus and the hands from Hades, I guess. I mean, he's got to be able to catch the football uh, consistently, get out of his own head. You know, he's got the ability, you know, he's got the gift to do it. He's just kind of in his own head right now, I think in a situation like the spring game where you know you catch the two-point conversion and you win the game, and instead it pops up in the air, it's intercepted, and the defense wins the game. Um, I want to see more from Shelton, Bunkley Shelton, and J.J. Hester, the two transfers last year. Uh, they, they fought through some injury situations and some new guy situations, some transfer situations. They should be good to go. They're healthy. They've been here for more than a year. They should be good to go big contributions this year. I don't know. I don't know. And then you throw a freshman in there, Jaquest Petaway. He's got really, really good speed, elite speed. Um, Get him the ball 15, 20 times this year as a true freshman. See what he can do with it. I think you'll be pleased if you're Jeff Levy if you can get him the football that many times, because he's a, he's an explosive dynamic guy.
1: I'd be really curious. And I know that we're about to commit the Cardinal sin of an Oklahoma podcast. So sorry, everyone. But if you remember back to early 2021, when Mario Williams came along, Lincoln Riley, it felt like went out of his way early on to be like, we're going to give you bubble screens. We're going to give you reverses. We're going to give you quick slants. Like, they felt like he was just going to be explosive. And I-, I feel really good, like I said, about Farouk, Stoops, and Freeman being those three guys. I-, I wonder who that guy is. Like, the is it Andrew Anthony? They feel so good about Andrew Anthony that they're finding other ways to get on the ball. Is it Brennan Thompson with his speed? Is it Petaway? Like, I'm curious who that guy is that we're going to see early on. It feels like, hey, this is being forced this guy's direction on really simple stuff just because I think that'll show you a lot early on about what uh, Emmett Jones and-, and Jeff Lebby feel. Who who can be one of those game breakers that can just make stuff happen in the open field because of the athleticism? That usually translates to a lot of targets later in the year because that's someone that they trust to, to be kind of a- an upside ceiling raiser. I just don't know what that is. It feels like, again, I said we're going to do the Brent Venables thing. of We've named a billion guys because yeah. it's just so hard to know beyond Stoops and Farouk. Nick
0: Anderson. We didn't name him. Nick Anderson, too. Throw him in there. So he told you Nick Anderson was going to be a player this year. Um, another one we didn't name, DJ Graham. Yeah, but he caught a one-headed interception against Nebraska. He's got to be good, right? He's got some work to do, obviously.
1: Actually, uh, we need we need to do this. How many career interceptions does DJ Graham have? Uh, I don't know. If it's more than three, DJ Graham is your third highest leading uh, returning <laughs> receiver for a, <laughs> a different way. But uh, if it's more than three, then it's DJ. It's not That's Gavin right. Freeman. I've been misquoting the stat all off season. That's awesome. Um,
0: okay, so your gadget guy, here's here's the answer to your question. It's the two guys you named, Brendan Thompson and Jaquez Petaway. But I think the guy that they go to for those trick plays, the guy that they – he's more, he's faster than you think he is as a defensive back, and he's way stronger than you think he is. When you try to tackle him, he's got an unbelievable center of gravity, good vision, explosiveness. He can absorb the contact and, and kind of deflect. It's Gavin Freeman. Get him the ball through two, three times a game in a gadget situation, a game, per game, each game. I think you're going to be quite pleased if you're Jeff Levy. Wow,
1: well, he's uh, house call reverses like uh, he's already, he's already shown you that that's not a question mark. That's a yes. He can shred that. Uh, and again, uh, laying out against Kansas, that mm-hmm. that to me is kind of the more impressive play he had last year. It, it, so little opportunity. I, I'm a big believer that Gavin Freeman. I think it's going to be borderline breakout year for Gavin Freeman. True, okay. like. Really, that a lot of people are talking, hey, Drake Stoops is going to be gone, but you're going to have Gavin Freeman, Jalil, Fre- like you're going to have a, a fun group headed to the SEC.
0: I predict Drake Stoops is never going to be gone. I predict <laughs> he's going to go straight into coaching, grad assistant, wide receivers coach, head coach, eventually someday. He's going to have who you across his chest for his entire life. um Okay, quarterbacks, let's not waste too much time here uh, predicting what's going to happen at quarterbacks. I will just transition to this. We've started a new series at allsooners.com and that series is asking three tough questions, three tough questions for each position. I took the first one. We usually end with the quarterbacks, right? We usually end these series with, Hey guys, we're finishing with quarterbacks. You have to tune in now because it's the quarterbacks. I started with quarterbacks. I said, here are the questions we have to ask one. Is Dylan Gabriel, has he fixed his accuracy issues? Okay, so check that out. Two, how much in a perfect world do you want to play Jackson Arnold? You want to play him, how much? I answer that question. And then three, has anything changed with the plan C, which is Davis Bevel and Josh, uh, Josh Booty. Golly, I knew I was going to do that one of these days, Ryan. General Booty. Um so that's the questions we ask at quarterback because really to me there's no other questions uh ryan you've got the next installment of the position questions for training camp these are specific to what has to happen over the coming 30 days or so uh what'd you turn up
1: yeah we've got the offensive line we're gonna end with i think outside of quarterbacks the most fascinating one defensive line so that's the kicker at the end but usually got to go offense, offense to start to make it all work. Uh, but I'm going with the offensive line, and it, it's a little bit of what we've touched on here, but sifting through, okay, what's going to happen at the guard spot? Kind of explored that a little bit. It, it's talking about it feels like Oklahoma in a weird way after having a first-rounder and a third-rounder from their offensive tackle r- ranks feels like the tackles might again be the strength of that line so what needs to happen in camp for that to happen and then it's a we've covered so many names in the background how do you get those guys on the field so that this group is sec ready because john there is a world i don't know how realistic it is but there's a world where walter rouse walter rouse graduates Mckay mattower graduates that's happening that's happening if Tyler Guyton, the technique, lives up to his athleticism. Go get paid, young man. If Andrew Rame stays healthy for the first time all the way through, maybe he gets a good grade. Maybe he decides to just test the – you could, in a world, replace four of your five offensive linemen next year. Now, I think Andrew Rame will be back. I think that just because of the injury concerns, he needs two good years of tape and the SEC will help him. But that's a lot of pressure on those young guys. Got to find a way to get them in there.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Enjoyed it. That was a solid hour of talking Sooner football. We're not done.
1: Ryan, thanks for jumping on. Absolutely. Uh, Have fun with the Cruton coverage
0: next. Yeah, coming up next on the show, it's Randall. Randall Sweet's going to join us to talk OU recruiting. It's a massive, massive week for the future of OU recruiting. That's all next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast. And, of course, if you like the All Sooners podcast, go ahead and like us. Drop us a five-star rating, like us, put us out there on social media, share us, recommend us, all that good stuff. We appreciate it. And, of course, if you're watching on YouTube, Like, subscribe, and leave a comment there. We love those comments, and if you're good, we'll respond back. If you're not good, it's over. you got no chance. You know what to do. Uh, I'll tell you what. Just in the past week, Oklahoma has had some moments in the recruiting game, have they not? Uh, Randall Sweet joins us to talk OU recruiting, and it has been a whirlwind week. From Zion Regans to Taylor Tatum, the number one running back in the country, to Eugene Brooks. Randall, that's a super fast wide receiver. Yeah. That's uh, the number one running back in the nation. And that's a four-star offensive lineman for which you beat Texas. Sooners uh, have had a pretty good week. And it's uh, only going to get better, we hear.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean... You know, adding uh, what fifth receiver to the class? I mean, that's remarkable in its own right, and especially when you take consider it's a guy that's run a ten three in the hundred. You Can't have enough of those guys on your team. Like you said, you beat out Texas for a lineman, which was really crucial because oh, you only had one lineman in the class before. Uh, Eugene Brooks will probably play interior lineman, uh, whereas the one lineman that they had committed Isaiah Autry is a tackle. Uh, so it's really good to help get some uh, some more bodies in the offensive line room. And then, like you said, the nation's number one running back. I mean, they beat out Lincoln Riley. Uh, the Sooners beat out Lincoln Riley, which has to make OU fans uh, really, really happy. Make it a little bit sweeter, even though uh, getting the number one running back in the country. who Also great baseball player. is already pretty sweet.
0: Five wide receivers is not enough, Randall. Jacob Jordan has committed Oklahoma. Six, is that right? Six wide receivers. He's a uh, preferred walk-on but he's a 1,200-yard guy from Southlake, Carroll, Texas. This is not your normal walk-on.
2: No, not at all. I mean, and he, this is a kid who had four FBS offers, Texas Tech, Tulsa, North Texas, Western Kentucky. I mean, this is, this is a kid who could have gone and played Power 5 football on a scholarship um, and chose to come to OU. Uh, he was at the Brent Venables Elite Camp. I mean, he worked everybody there. I mean, from, you know, out routes and, you know, quick-breaking stuff to deep down the field, he did it all. He really showed uh, that he's a you know, very versatile receiver. You, know, you look at his height, 5'9", and you look at the fact that he only has you know, those four offers, and you think, okay, maybe this is a, a guy that only can play in the slot, run short routes. But you know, at the BV camp, and I think if you look at his, his stats, it shows, too, that he really can get downfield more than uh, most 5'9 receivers can. Uh, and you know, we've seen walk-ons do really good things uh, in OU's receiver room. Recently, even with Drake Stoops, Gavin Freeman, uh, I mean, going back to Lee Morris, other guys, of course, uh, you know, he's got a shot to make an impact uh, just like the rest of these guys do. So it's a great pickup, especially when a guy it's a guy that you're not using a scholarship on.
0: I've teased it a couple times on the podcast today. It's a big week for OU. It's a big uh, event, Party at the Palace. There's uh, coming up on 30 big time names in the 26, uh, 25 and 26 classes. We'll get to that in just a second, but we need to go back and revisit Uh, We did talk about Zion Reagan's last last week on the podcast, so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about Taylor Tatum. The last time Oklahoma landed a five-star running back was Joe Mixon in the 2014 class. The last time Oklahoma landed the number one running back in the nation, I told you guys this last week, was Adrian Peterson in 2004. So we're talking 10 years apart, 10 years apart, and now the 2024 class 10 years apart. Holy cow. Um, Every 10 years – Ending in a four, the uh, Sooners are going to sign the arguably the best running back in the country, right?
2: Those first two have worked out pretty well for him, didn't they?
0: It worked out okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it really is something that, uh, you know, DeMarco Murray was able to pull in. The number one running back in the country, this is a five-star player. I mean, over USC, over Michigan, I mean, these are schools that have been, you know, putting offensive players in the league recently. Um, you know, Michigan, with uh, some of their running backs that they've had, be really really uh productive recently i mean out of texas too out of texas that's right yeah and you know so for ou to go into east texas and land a big time recruit like this it's huge i mean i know it's been said but you really can't thank skip johnson demarco murray enough for their work i mean skip johnson being able to show his track record of success and being able to show how ou has a plan in place for guys just like taylor tatum you know hey we're not going to be experimenting with you. We've done this before. Here's what we did for these guys. Here's how it worked for them. And now you can see their success. I mean, yeah. Cody, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Cody Thomas is playing in the MLB. Now he, he started games at quarterback for OU and played baseball for the team. We all know Kyler Murray, first round pick in the MLB and the NFL draft. I mean, when you can show guys, not only that you've helped them be successful in both sports, but also that you have a plan in place for how to do that. I think that goes a long way. And it really silences the doubters of DeMarco Murray that he can't recruit big time running backs because, you know, we, we've seen that he's gotten talented players, but fans maybe uh, haven't seen as high of the star rating as previous uh, regimes in the running back room. And so now he gets that, that big five star.
0: Yeah. That's where I was going to go with this was how good is Taylor Tatum. But first, how good is DeMarco? Um, Think about his background. He's the all-time leading all-purpose yards leader. He's one of the all-time rushing leaders. He's the all-time leading touchdown maker at Oklahoma. Think about the luminaries. Think about the celebrities that have come through, Heisman winners and whatnot, that have come through Oklahoma put up those numbers. DeMarco Murray's number one among all of them, all of them. Then he goes to the league, and he's the AP Offensive Player of the Year for the Dallas Cowboys, leads the NFL in rushing. Then he goes into coaching and signs the number one running back in the country, uh, in just his third season, what? Uh, how? I mean, how good is Demarco? How hot is he right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, what a prolific career from you know high school all the way now to the recruiting ranks for for Demarco Murray, and it really really makes me think that you know in the coming years is this a guy who, you know, regardless of where, would be ready to take the step up into a higher level of coaching, you know, moving on from just a position coach into something else. Now, I'm not obviously, I'm not. Reporting anything? I haven't heard anything about that. But you know, all of his success, it does does make you wonder: is this a guy who could take that leap? You know, with yeah. recruiting, with the track record he has uh, as a player and in college and in the NFL.
0: Somebody's going to come along and offer him a bunch of money, yep. and a and an offensive coordinator position or something like that. Yep. And if you're Brent Venables, if you're Joe Stiglione, you got to be ready for that because it's it's going to happen when you're when you have success like this and you bring in three potentially. Currently two, but potentially three top-flight running backs. One of them is the number one running back in the country. So people are going to come after your guy. So mm-hmm. be prepared, Josie, to uh, to give him another raise. I think he was the only position coach last year who got an actual raise <laughs> in his salary. Uh, there were some adjustments made so other guys could get more money. But in terms of just base salary, DeMarco, I think – don't hold me to this, but I think he was the only one who got an actual raise – so how good then is Taylor Tatum? Let's break down his film a little bit, Randall. Um, how good is he? When you, when you talk the number one cor- running back in the country, people at a place like Oklahoma especially where they make a case sometimes for RBU, right? Uh, when you've got a, a school like this with a tradition like this and you sign the number one guy in the country to come to your school, they haven't signed him yet, but they've got a commitment from him. What's the comp? That's what people want to know. Which one of these guys does he measure up to? Is he is he kind of a DeMarco running back? What's his style? Is he more like Adrian Peterson? Is he more like Billy Sims? You know, you start throwing these names out there. What do you think? What does he remind you of?
2: Well, I I don't want to say he's a one-to-one comparison, but you mentioned Joe Mixon, and the way that he is such a skilled receiver out of the backfield, that really re- reminds me of Joe Mixon. I mean, mm-hmm. I watched Joe Mixon whenever I was growing up. He was kind of my era, him and Samaje P. Ryan of running back at OU. And, you know, just the way that he was able to split out and catch passes out of the backfield. I mean, they'd line Joe Mixon up in the slot. He was a little taller. I think he's about six 6'1". Uh, and I think he finished his OU career about 220, 225. So he, he had more of the build of a DeMarco Murray. Or not, uh, not DeMarco Murray, I apologize. Adrian Peterson type running back. Uh, Adrian was maybe a little bigger. But uh you know, Taylor's a little shorter, probably 5'11", six foot, probably 5'11", but he is already 200 pounds. Um, I've heard that a lot of people that mark for a a really good, um, successful running back is 200 pounds. You Mm -hmm. want guys that are over that weight when they're, you know, finishing their college careers. So Taylor Tatum already being that weight as a high school kid is really impressive. He carries it well. Uh, He's, you can tell he's pretty big up top. He's not overweight. He runs hard, obviously, breaks tons of tackles, but that receiving ability is just what really caught my eye because, you know, in high school, you watch a lot of running backs that will run through tackles that can do plenty of things. Um, But guys who can split out, who can track the ball as well as he can, who can run routes as well as he can, you don't see that very often from high school running backs. So once he gets on campus, that ability is gonna be accentuated even more when he gets with, you know, coaches who can teach him how to run routes. And when, you know, right now at Longview, you can turn around and hand it to him and you're probably gonna get a pretty good result. At OU, when you get more creative and you can build some of those routes out for him, I, I think that that's going to be a great uh, asset that he provides that a lot of r- other running backs, especially his size, you know, 5'11", 205, 210, 215 pounds, can't do as well. Also, his vision his vision is great, uh, but I feel like that's pretty standard for most top-of-the-line running backs.
0: I think we saw last year that uh, Jeff Levy likes to throw the run, throw the football to the running back. Uh, in Eric Gray. Uh, He did a good job. I think we've seen that a lot. I talked about it earlier in the podcast about uh, getting the football to those guys in spring practice because maybe the wide receiver position is not as dynamic as you would want it to be. So you start involving some of those running backs. Uh, It's a good plan. So yeah, he fits in. Taylor Tatum fits in right there. My favorite running back of all time, 5'10", 202, Walter Payton. So he was (laughs) at that 200-pound mark. Uh, One guy that was short, my second favorite running back of all time, he was short, so he was obviously not very good. He was only 197 pounds, Barry Sanders. <laughs> I think 5'9", five, 5'8", five, 197. So he just didn't cut it, didn't make it. He didn't hit the 200-pound mark.
2: I, mean, <laughs> I guess Barry made it work without the. <laughs>
0: he figured out a way, dude. He one, figured one, out a way.
2: One thing. Uh, good,
0: good note on your uh, Twitter today, by the way. Somebody's out there saying Georgia has the best running back room of all time, and you're like, uh, Oklahoma State had two Hall of Famers at the same time.
2: Yep. Yep. That. that I mean – they, they not only do they have those two Hall of Famers, they had a third NFL running back behind those two. I mean, it's just inc- incredible. I know it was, I mean, 46 years ago. So it, it's it's What's a or, no, no, 36. Sorry, my math is off. Come on, I'm, not that old. <laughs> I'm a writer, not a mathematician. My, right. 36 years ago. But people forget how, how quick they are to forget the great uh, eighty late 80s Pat Jones pokes. Oh, and w- one more note on Taylor Tatum. I mentioned the tracking ability. Uh, he plays – I think he plays outfield in baseball. And so mm-hmm. you can kind of see some of the um, the similarities there. I mean, I know obviously it's two different sports, and I'm no scientist to tell you exactly how it matches up. But some of that tracking ability from tracking a baseball in the outfield, you can definitely see that um, come to fruition in football when he's out there playing receiver.
0: So you're calling him the next Bo Jackson basically, right?
2: Yeah, that's it. They're right there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: little bit of a stretch. You <laughs> got the goat on one side and a high school kid on the other, but there's nothing to say he can't get there. Just saying. Uh, so we talked about Taylor Tate and we talked about Demarco. Let's talk about Eugene Brooks. He's the second yeah. offensive lineman committed in this class. He's from California, Sierra Canyon. Uh, he was down to, interestingly enough, he's from California. He was down to Oklahoma and Texas. In his final two, he joins Isaiah Autry as the only O-lineman committed. We talked about it in the first segment with Bill Biedenboe, finally uh, showing up to work, (laughs) (laughs) saying, yeah, I guess I'll sign some guys, go go out and recruit some dudes. Just kidding, of course, just kidding. Uh, Biedenboe's the most accomplished coach probably on this staff, giving him a hard time. Um, But, you know, during this stretch, when they – since. Signing or committing, getting a commitment. I keep saying the word signing. It just rolls off the tongue. Getting a commitment from Isaiah Autry. Um, Since that time, they've lost a couple of guys. They've been in on a couple of finalists and top three and top two, like Casey Poe was one. But Ryan wrote a column today, man. It feels like Beedembo is really gaining some momentum on the offensive line.
2: Yeah, I mean, Eugene Brooks, so he – We've seen the guys that that Biedenbo likes on the interior. He likes big dudes that are really strong, that will maul you. And Eugene Brooks is that. I mean, right now he's listed at 6'5", 320 pounds. If you look at his, which is huge for a high school kid, you look at his high school tape, I mean, he's throwing kids around. He's putting people on their back on the ground all the time. And one thing that I noticed on his film that I think that the OU staff probably really liked was that a lot of his highlights are him 30, 40 yards down the field blocking guys. I mean, you know, I know some people look at that and they're like, oh, well, these are safeties. But the fact is that he's down the field, that he's getting down there, he's doing that. I mean, if he's doing that now, I mean, a lot of high school linemen, they can just beat people with their strength. So if he's already doing that now, when he gets into the OU conditioning program, he's going to be great at that downfield blocking, holding those blocks, getting to the second level, taking out linebackers, things like that, which we all know that OU loves to do with some of those complicated uh, run, run schemes that they like to run with the offensive linemen. Uh, is great at drawing those up. Uh, you know, um, he fits right into that with uh, his skill set. He's really versatile. In high school, I've seen him uh, on his film play tackle and guard on uh, the left and right side, actually. So he can uh, move around, which is something you always really want in alignment, especially early in their careers when they might not be a starter, but that way they can back up a lot of positions and give you some versatility on the line. Covering,
0: uh, covering recruiting can be a little bit like fishing.
2: <laughs> yeah
0: the people who um the people who follow it right their minds are set on the next fish their minds are not set on what's in the bucket what's in the basket you know what's on the string they don't care that uh you know you it, it I, I say this in all generalities of course i'm not pegging everybody to be the same 2023 who cares what are we doing in recruiting I need to know who we're going to sign in 2024. Oh, the 2024 class. These guys are committed. Who cares? I want to know who's next. So, Randall, party at the palace starts kind of today. I guess it's been starting slowly over the last 12 hours or so. I don't know. But there's well over 30 guys, well over 20 guys. And you're saying, you told me earlier, there may be approaching 30, exceeding 30 dudes that are in the 25 class and the 26 class. So get the right bait right on your hook. Uh, Make sure you're using the right lure. Make sure you've got the right distance on your cast. You're hitting into the right spot because the future is at OU right now. There's, there's, they're probably going to hope to sign. I don't know. Again, these are future guys, 25s and 26s. They're probably going to hope to sign three or four or five guys out of the dudes that are visiting right now.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and some of those guys are guys that we've seen uh, at OU multiple times already, like Malik Hawkins, whose older brother Michael Hawkins is in the 2024 class. So yep. you, know, you have to like the fact that OU is getting him back on campus. It really looks good there, especially if Michael Hawkins comes and likes his time in Norman next year. Uh, you know, I think really the headliner of the event is five-star Louisville offensive lineman Michael Fasusi uh 2025 class uh again just a huge huge kid that's about to be a junior in high school um big mauler on the offensive line I think he plays tackle primarily um but five star five star players got schools all over the country already looking into him and uh OU uh, I think has a pretty good relationship with him from everything I'm hearing and uh fact that he's on campus uh, is is a really good sign especially at a big event like this um they've also got I think Three modern day 2025 players in Jordan Davison, uh, Marcus Harris, and uh, I think Abdul Sanders, Jr. Um, so Marcus Harris and Jordan David. Marcus Harris is a receiver, four-star receiver. It's got, again, schools all over the nation looking at him. But uh, the fact that he made the trek out to Oklahoma from California uh, is a big deal. And I think his teammates, Jordan Davison, who's a talented four-star running back, and Abdul Sanders, Jr., is a three-star linebacker. Uh, made the trip out with him. I think they also visited Texas, so let's not act like this is too exclusive for OU, but the fact that they're here is a good sign. It uh, shows that they have some interest in a good relationship with the coaches. Of course, when they're on campus, that's when you build those relationships, so OU can always take a good step there. Also in 2025, they're on campus, they have Chase Lofton, who's the tight end from Elkhorn North. He was at the Venables Elite Camp, where he actually picked up an offer. That was his first offer, his first collegiate oh. offer, which is not something that usually happens. OU's not usually a kid's first offer, but since then he's blown up. Iowa State, Nebraska, I think Kansas State have all offered him and some other schools since then. So, um, you know, in the 2025 class, getting a jump on the building that tight end room out after you got, um, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name right now, Um, Devon Mitchell in the 2024 class now, uh, adding a tight end in 2025 class so you can kind of build out that room, which is looking kind of thin right now, aside from Mitchell next year. Uh, would be good and in 2026 they've got some really interesting uh, prospects on campus brock boyd who already has an ou offer uh, from south lake carroll that's jacob jordan's teammate uh this is a kid who again picked up an offer at the brent venables elite camp and has blown up since i mean he's gotten tcu since uh nebraska i know he's gotten a number of other offers since then uh, and he's a really really good um, skilled wide receiver uh, technically sound he's tall already six foot one about to be a sophomore in high school his dad is actually Southlake Carroll's receivers coach, which makes that really interesting. Um, you know, you always always love to have a coach's kid. Uh, you know, those guys usually uh, have a good understanding of the game. Uh, and it builds a really good connection there at Southlake Carroll, too, which is important. That's a good program down there in Dallas. Uh, also, in the 2026 class, Caden Jones is going to be there, the son of Kewan, former OU player Kewan Jones, uh, who, again, at the Brent Venables Elite Camp, he played great at receiver. Didn't really see him much at defensive back there, but from what I've heard, that's primarily what OU is looking at him to play, uh, is a defensive back. And so getting him on campus, you know, being an early offer for him, being an OU legacy, that's going to be really important. He's really, really good. I mean, from what I saw at the at the Venables Elite Camp, he's long, he's athletic, he's fast. I mean, this is going to be a kid that I would imagine a lot of schools over the country, all around the country are going to want. And so OU getting in on him early is going to be important. And then the last thing I wanted to mention in 2026 class is the two quarterbacks that I know are going to be there. And that's uh, CJ Turnbull from Millwood and uh, Connor Quintero from Stillwater. And I wrote about both of them in my 2026 QB story about guys who could potentially earn offers from OU. And, um, you know, now they're here on campus. So you have to think that that... uh, that might still be the case that one of those two is OU's first 2026 QB offer. Um, both got big arms. Uh, Turnbull doesn't have any offers yet, but he's teammates with uh, Jaden Nickens, who's a 2025 receiver that a uh, big-time four-star player, OU definitely uh, wants him. And uh, Quintero, I think, has four offers with uh, the headlining one being Oregon. So that's a, that's a pretty big-time uh, big-time look for him, uh, for OU to get him in. It's a good sign. Hoping to talk to him and Chase Lofton after afterwards to – to see what what they have to say. Um, and then also Kevin Sperry and Grayson Harris, who are both committed to OU in the 2025 class. OU's only two commits in that class on campus. So you have to, like, get in both of those two on to kind of put the bug in the rest of these guys here, do some recruiting for the staff. Does Caden Jones have an offer yet? Yes. Yes, he does have an offer.
0: Okay. Um, okay, think- so, yeah, that's a guy. I-, I watched him play a couple of seven-on-sevens. Man, you're right. He is he is the kind of guy that can take over. In, in that setting, I want to put it where in the proper context. It was a 7-on-7. Seven seven, it was a spring. It was windy. It was cool. He's out there just torching people. So um, in that setting, he's a guy that can dominate uh, his position.
2: He looks um, smooth, doesn't he, when he runs?
0: Yeah, very smooth. Uh, not like not like his dad, who's more sh- shorter, 5'9", compact.
2: All in long.
0: Yeah, he's, he's yeah. very much so. Um, Quintero, what would uh, what would this if Oklahoma were to get a commitment from him? Okay, they've offered him, right?
2: No, not yet.
0: Not right. yet. Okay, no, they haven't offered a 26. That's right. That's what we talked about. Uh, so if they offer him and he commits and they end up signing him and he comes to Oklahoma, I don't ever remember uh, a Stillwater quarterback coming out
2: going to Oklahoma. Am I missing somebody? no i think i think you're right and it's really interesting too because by the time he's in college bedlam will have been dead for a couple years yeah and so you can easily make the pitch to him like hey you don't have to feel like a traitor to your hometown because you'll never play them so that's that's really interesting to me i kind of thought that too i mean you're going into enemy territory obviously to get the kid but the fact that he's on campus this early uh, is a really good sign i don't think he has an offer from oklahoma state yet either so the fact that OU is building that relationship early—I mean, I don't—I don't see any reason why they would be excluded in his recruitment. But you're right; I can't think of a, a quarterback going away from Stillwater coming to Norman.
0: Yeah, a couple of position players and stuff like that. Jackie Ship was one, I think, that grew up in Stillwater, ended up being an All-American at Oklahoma. But quarterback, yeah, that—that that could get interesting because, like you said, Bedlam is going to be a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going into the SEC, you know. Hey, we've got a whole new future. Come, leave Stillwater. Come to Norman. I, I could see that recruiting pitch for someone like that.
2: And and it's I mean, close enough. Oh, sorry, I, I was just going to say it's close enough that you're not recruiting a player across his across the country. I mean, you're still what an hour away from home.
0: Yeah, it becomes it becomes like a Midwest city, Ardmore type in state kind of guy, right? You're not pulling him out of Stillwater. It's just right. hey, he's from Stillwater. Exactly. Because they don't play anymore
2: because is dead. Where are the Gundys from? They're not from Stillwater, are they? Midwest City. Midwest City, okay. Um, so, Randall, who's next for Oklahoma?
0: What's your prediction? Uh, you got some dates coming up, obviously, yep. some commitment dates. Uh, and you told me before we started, Andy Bass is dropping his top three on Saturday. Yep. Um. So if he's dropping a top three, he's not going to commit probably anytime real soon. Do you have any uh, insight or do you have any leanings about uh, who Oklahoma is going to get a commitment from next?
2: Uh, well, August 31st is the commitment date of Mikel Patterson McDonald. I'll actually be there on site. It's at Westmore High School. So I'll be able to see there, talk to him afterwards. I've got a pretty good relationship with Michael, So I'm sure that, uh, that he'll, he'll give me some, some good quotes afterwards. Uh, he's a great kid. And uh, if, if OU is able to land him, that would be huge in uh, the 2024 class. Again, talented defensive back. I think he'd be the third DB in the class joining uh, Jaden Hardy and uh, Jeremiah Newcomb. Um, so getting another safety, especially a player like him who loves to come down and hit in the run game, that would be huge. Uh, you know, I think that uh, Brandon Hall likes safeties who are, who are okay with flying down and delivering uh, some pain. And uh, I've watched Mike in person in pads multiple times, and that's that's his thing. He loves loves to fly downhill and hit people. Um, when I've talked to him, he said that his one of his biggest traits is his leadership, which is something that you have to imagine aligns with Coach Benable's with kind of the um, the morals that they're preaching on their staff. So uh, you know, it sounds like he he kind of aligns with them. He said he loves the coaching staff. He said they check up on him all the time. Um, from everything he's told me, I would be shocked if. If uh, OU did not get a commitment from him, especially, and this is nothing against the other schools in his top four, but Houston, Missouri, and UNLV, OU usually does not lose recruiting battles to those, those three schools. I mean, Missouri, you know, obviously there's Luther Burden, there, that's its own situation. Mm-hmm. But for a player from Moore, whose dad played at OU, whose, uh, I think uh, his dad's wife also ran track at OU, grew up around the program. The coaches check in on him he was a guy who wasn't a last-minute offer i'd be shocked if uh if OU did not get a commitment from him and that could be huge because he's best friends with david stone yeah that could could be big for more reasons than one uh after him uh josh isosa who's uh offensive lineman edmund santa fe he's announcing his commitment on august 14th Uh, i would imagine again that ou feels pretty good about where they sit right now with that, I think probably their biggest competition there would be Iowa State, uh, if I if I had to guess right now. Um, but this is a, an in-state kid. Uh, you know, OU doesn't have a huge offensive line group in the 2024 class, so it's an easy way to say, hey, uh, you could be one of the focal points of the offensive line group in this class. You know, when it's your when 2024 class is here, it's your turn. Like you're the guy, you're the tackle, you and Isaiah Autry. Um, and so so I think being able to um, pitch that to Isosa is uh, is going to be really helpful in his recruitment. You know, not, not already having a crowded room full of guys that are rated higher than him. Um, you know, kind of letting him know, like, hey, you're being recruited here for a chance to, to go compete to, to play. Maybe not right away, but eventually.
0: Yeah.
2: And then, sorry, later, uh, about a month later, Nigel Smith will announce his commitment on September 8th uh i can't remember who melissa he's from melissa texas i can't remember who melissa is playing that day uh but it's before the he's announcing his commitment either before or after the game he he hasn't said what yet but he said come be there before and after it'll be a good time so we'll see we'll see then but uh we've seen a flurry of recruiting predictions come in for ou uh for him and from whenever i talked to him he really liked ou he loved the soul mission he said that that was something that really um uh, put OU in a good light that other programs don't have. And uh, I've heard that talking to a lot of recruits. So as long as the sole mission's there and it's strong, I think that uh, Nigel Smith, you know, the relationships he's built with OU staff, I think that he uh, he will probably be uh, leaning towards OU right now.
0: Sounds like OU is going to win the services of Nigel Smith, but they're battling with Texas A&M for that one, right?
2: Yep. And and uh, he, he said that uh, he loves the facilities there. He loves the environment. And I mean – you, you can't really blame him. It's it's a school that has put a lot of money into their facilities and into that environment. Uh, you know, that stadium is huge. I don't know if you've been to Kyle Field, but it's like, what, 110,000 people or something like that. Uh, you know, they're, they're a SEC program that's, you know, recruited well for a while. Uh, but if OU can land him over, over A&M, that would be big for them. Uh, you know, like I said, the, A&M, what, had the best class of all time last year or something yeah. like that, right? So if you can if you can take a recruit away from a team that did that last year, that's pretty good.
0: Um, that's a good point. Uh, you'll be there at Melissa on the eighth when he, uh, when he commits. Yes. Right, Melissa. Yes. Yeah, they've got another town like right next door called Anna. I don't know why. They, <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. Some rich rancher bought a bunch of land and named it after his daughters or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know.
2: Well, that. They, they, um it's kind of on
0: the way to dallas from tulsa so i stop at bucky's and i get some uh, cherry preserves and (laughs) beef jerky and uh kolache and stuff like that
2: nice my go-to at bucky's is always the uh banana pudding
0: i do i do enjoy some banana pudding i Mm. do enjoy some bucky's banana pudding. bucky's is sinful bucky's is like las vegas for for travelers
2: yeah
0: and just get whatever the hell you want
2: it, it, you can spend too much time in there. It can derail you from the actual trip itself.
0: Yes, true. And it's always 50 bucks. Always. Just count on it. Just count on 50 bucks flying out of your pocket when you go to book. <laughs> uh, I've gotten into the uh, Arnold Palmers, by the way. Take oh, care. yeah.
2: Yeah, I love those as well. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, also looking forward, Randall, to your coverage of, uh, the party at the palace over the next couple of days. So you guys keep it tuned right here to allsooners.com to, uh, keep up with what Randall is reporting because he's going to be all over it. You're, uh, you're, you're dialed in, right?
2: Yep. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, going to be all over it. I'm, uh, planning on talking to at least, uh, Quintero and Lofton, um, to, uh, today or tomorrow, not today tomorrow or the next day just kind of recapping their visits uh, so after i talk to them i'll definitely have a, a story out about that see who they talked to just see what the weekend was like as a whole um, you know we we don't really know a lot about it this isn't one of those big publicized events like the champion barbecue um, so this is something that we're finding out more about as it's happening so interested to, to hear more from the guys who are there uh, about how it went what it was like things like that that will all be at allsooners.com.
0: Randall, thanks, man. Yep, no problem. Thanks, John. Absolutely, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with the All Sooners podcast, which you can catch along with all of our podcasts at uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you know, wherever you get them. Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, just about anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We're there. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player listen on your phone your tablet or your computer and of course all of our shows are posted over on my youtube channel john hoover media for ryan chapman for randall sweet i'm john hoover see you guys